Heavenly Father, we come to thank you for who you are, that you're an altogether good and loving Father to us. Thank you that you've met our every need in, in and through your Son, Jesus Christ. And thanks that you've given us a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path through your word. And Father, we believe that it, it's true. And so I pray now as we open it that you would apply that truth, not just to our minds, but to our hearts and hands. Father, there's a deep need here this morning. You know all the needs. And so my prayer is that you would meet each one of us where we're at, that you would strengthen those who need strengthening, that you'd encourage those who need encouraging, that you'd exhort and rebuke those of us who need exhortation and rebuke. But my prayer is that as I empty myself, you'd fill me with your spirit to serve and strengthen and feed your sheep. Um, Father, because if, if we don't receive from you, then we don't have what we need. And so would you meet, would you fill our needs this morning? Would you help me to point people to your son, Jesus Christ, knowing that in him is life and in him is all we need for all eternity. So would you strengthen me to make much of your son for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As you're being seated, let me start out with an announcement. Uh, the announcement is this. We've got a, a special guest coming in for the Equip Ministry. This Thursday, 6.30, Dr. David Talley, uh, who's the Old Testament professor of theology at Talbot Theological Seminary, is coming in to teach on the importance of the Old Testament. Dr. Talley has spent his life studying the scriptures. What's up, Verms? Glad you're back, man. Uh, he spent his life studying the scriptures. I love this guy, and I love his love for Jesus. He's brilliant. Rumor has it that Moses consulted him when he wrote the Pentateuch. I just, that's not true. I made that rumor up. Uh, but you can go online. If you go to the Hillside app, it's Thursday at 6.30. You can go to the Hillside app. Look at that. I'm already there. And then you hit the events button and go down to adult equipping night and you can register uh, again this Thursday, 630. Um, you're not going to want to miss it. So that being said, and I've got my phone on airplane mode, so don't, you can try texting me, but it won't go through. <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Guests, visitors, first timers, newcomers. This is Hillside. We believe Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. He starts that process by changing us as individuals. He changes us from the inside out. Um, my name's Dave. Jesus has changed me. I'm a new creature in Christ, a new creation. I've got new life in Christ. And it just so happens I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic, saved by grace. And so I've never met anybody worse than me. And so if you're here, Jesus can save you. Jesus can write a new story with your life, and, and we're thrilled about that. And so I don't want your money. I'm not interested in your money. I am interested in your mind for about 35 minutes because I want to convince you. I want to persuade you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I want to persuade you to submit to his story, surrender your story to his story. And so we've been looking at how Jesus changes everything through Genesis. Genesis moves us. It's the first book in your, your Bibles. If you open up to your first book in the, the Bible, uh, the Bible moves towards the coming of Jesus Christ. Genesis, every chapter, every chapter of the Bible moves us closer to Jesus coming. Uh, and today we're going to see that. We're going to see a picture of the gospel, a picture of Jesus Christ. In Genesis uh, 
43 and 44. I'm going to cover two chapters this morning in 29 minutes. Let's get after it. I'll read it to you. Chapter 43, I'm going to read all of chapter 43 to you. It's 34 verses. Um, But that'll give us a framework to move forward. I'm not going to read chapter 44. It's one speech by this cat named Judah. We'll look at it, um, but I'm just going to read 43. So let's jump in. In chapter 43 of Genesis, God says, Moses writes this, Now the famine was severe in the land, so it came about when they had finished eating the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father Jacob said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. Well, Judah spoke to him, however, saying, The man, Joseph, solemnly warned us, saying, uh, You shall not see my face unless your brother, Benjamin, is with you. If you send Benjamin with us, Dad, we will go down and buy, buy you food. But if you do not send Benjamin, we will not go down. For Joseph said to us, You will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Well, then Israel, Jacob, said, Why did you treat me so badly by telling the man whether you still had another brother? But they said, The, the man, Joseph, questioned particularly about us and our relatives, saying, Is your father still alive and have you another brother? So he answered his questions. Could we possibly know that he would say, bring your brother down? Well, Judah said to his father Israel, send the lad with me and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, we as well as you and our little ones. Judah said, I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for Benjamin if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever." For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags. Carry down the man as a, uh, to the man as a present, a little balm, a little honey, aromatic gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money in your, your hand And take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it it was a mistake. Take your brother also, Benjamin, and arise and return to the man. And may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man so that he will release you or uh, release to you your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this this present, and they took double the money in their hand, and Benjamin. And they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Verse 16. Well, when Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to his house steward, bring the men into the house, slay an animal, and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. So the man did as Joseph said and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house, and they said, It's because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time that we're being brought, brought in that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for slaves with our donkeys. So they came near to Joseph's house steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house and said, oh my Lord, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. And it came about when we came to the lodging place and that we opened our sacks. And behold, each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full. So we've brought it back in our hand. We've also brought down other money in our hand to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. Well, the house steward said, 
chill out, be at ease, you guys are stressed. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out of prison and to them. Verse 24, then, then the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave their donkeys fodder. So they prepared the present for Joseph coming, Joseph's coming at noon for they had heard that they were to eat a meal there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present which was in their hand and bowed, bowed to the ground before him. And then he asked them about their welfare and said, is your old father well of whom, of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, your servant, our father is well. He is alive. And they bowed down in homage. And as he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, Joseph said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over the sight of his brother. And he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber, and he wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and he controlled himself and said, serve the meal. So they served him by himself, and they by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is loathsome to the Egyptians." Now, they were seated before Joseph, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked at one another in astonishment. Well, Joseph took portions to them from his own table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. So they feasted and drank freely with him. So, long section of scripture, and we're going we're gonna to cover 40, chapter 44 as well. So as we get into these 68 verses, I want to take the 68 verses, just put them together, and, and deliver to you what, what I see being the, the best application for you to walk away with the, the application of the scriptures to be. If you studied straight through, you read straight through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, one of the character attributes of God that you would walk away with is this that God is a teacher. He begins by telling Moses, I'll, I'll teach you what you should say. Um, throughout the Old Testament, God teaches his people. And as a teacher, let, let's just get a survey real quick. How many of you are teachers or been in teaching? Good, feel free. A lot of you, all right. I think you all are underpaid and underappreciated. As a teacher, you're actually seeking to develop people, to develop skills. And that's what God does. He loves to develop. One, one, uh, I, I mean, it's a high for a teacher to see a light bulb moment when somebody gets it. God loves that. He's a teacher, loves to develop us. If you also read through the scripture, there's a small theological picture. Sin, the enemy, he's not a teacher, he's a tyrant. He doesn't like it when people develop. He actually likes to devour people. So God's a teacher, he develops. The enemy's a tyrant, he devours. In the gospel, Jesus comes and one of his favorite titles is teacher, rabbi. And in that, he says, I'm gonna send the spirit to you. He's gonna teach you all things. And we, having been taught by God, Matthew 28, are sent out to teach people to observe all that Jesus has commanded. So we're actually gonna be teachers and reflect God in that. When we walk through chapter 43 and 44, the big question that pops out is, what is God doing here? And we've been in this 
for chapters after chapters, what is God doing here? All this cat and mouse game that Joseph is playing. The question is this, how do I interpret God's activity around me? What do I do? Here's the central question. What do I do with the trials, the tests, the tension in this life? How do I interpret it? Because we all interpret it somehow. When the, tr- the test, the trial, the tension comes into your life, we all interpret it somehow. Oftentimes we're like, God isn't good, God isn't loving. So how am I to interpret God's work and his allowing these tests, trials, tension, into my life. Let me frame it for you this way, because this will set the whole text up for you. Many of you are teachers. Teachers have a certain tool bag, don't they? They've got certain tools they can use in teaching. Probably the most prominent tool a teacher has are tests. Are they not? Now, there's different kinds of tests. You've got Scantron tests, that's why I called this sermon the number two pencil. Get out your number two pencils. How many of you does that trigger? Uh, you've got Scantron tests. You've got fill in the blank tests. You've got my favorite, uh, um, true or false. That's a fitty fitty. I mean, those are, I'll take those odds. Each test is meant for a different reason. Some tests help us advance past where we're at. Some tests assess where we're at, and some tests assure us that we've grown. Today, you're going to see three tests in this. Everybody gets tested. You're going to see Jacob gets a test. You're going to see Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Gad, Ishakar. They get a test. Um, You see, the test is going to come to you as well. And the question is, how are you going to interpret it? And I want to show you that God's so good. He loves you right where you're at. He really does. And he loves you too much to leave you there. He's going to bring a test in to help you advance, to help you assess, and to help assure you that he's not done working. Let's start out. Chapter 43, we'll go one through five. Watch the first test. This is a trust test, total trust test. And God's going to use it to help Jacob advance. Jacob's stuck. Let me show you. we read one, two, three, four, and five. Now, the famine was severe in the land. Remember, it was going on seven years. Everybody's starving. Nobody has food. Here comes the test. It's the famine test. Verse 2. So it came about when they had finished eating the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, go back and buy us a little food. Remember, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, the ten brothers went down. They went to buy food. And Joseph said, don't come back unless you bring your brother. But Jacob didn't. He didn't trust the boys with Benjamin because last time he sent them out with a precious child, the precious child didn't come back. So they brought the food back. Now, it had probably been upwards of a year. Simeon's still in prison, but they ate all the food. So their dad said, go back to Egypt, buy us a little food. Jacob's trying to sneak it in and say, just go back and try and get a little bit of food. Watch verse three. Judah spoke to him. However, saying, the man solemnly warned us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Verse four, if you send our brother Benjamin with us, we will go down and buy food. Verse five, but if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. So now before we jump into this and we look at the test that Jacob's about to get, 
I feel the need to put some humanity around Jacob. Last week, if you were here, you remember I told you Jacob was a failed father. You remember that? Okay, it's stuck. I went home and I was like, ah, that, I mean, that's, that's a harsh statement. I looked in the mirror and, and thought, oh, who's not a failed father, amen? amen? Like I held up Jacob like, oh, this guy's a total sleaze and loser. Well, we kind of all are. And I'm pretty sure one day I'm gonna run into Jacob in heaven and he's gonna say, dude, I heard what you said. That's, <laughs> that's not cool, bro. Not, like that's lame. So I wanna put some humanity around Jacob and hopefully put some humanity around you as well. Remember, Jacob's dad didn't like him. Jacob's dad liked Esau, so his dad harmed him. Jacob's mom babied him, treated him like an, a, 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 a little child, like a mama's boy, and Jacob's mom harmed him, wounded him. They sent him to his uncle Laban, and Laban abused him, used him, hurt him, harmed him. Uh, everywhere Jacob turned, literally, he was wounded by relational trauma and wounding. Then he had 10 boys that he passed the harm on to. He didn't like his 10 boys, and they came back and lied to him and said, hey, your son's dead. Jacob's traumatized, legitimately. So for me just to get up and be like, he's a failed father, is kind of weak sauce. I'm just grateful my life isn't memorialized in scripture for all eternity, amen? Because people would be like, Dave's a loser. And then I'd be like, yeah, that's true. Here's what happens. In trauma, there's a whole series of trauma responses when you're wounded. This is real. My sermon this morning isn't about trauma responses, but one of the trauma responses is you become hyper-attentive and hyper-focused on one thing you can control. Jacob got stuck, focused on Benjamin. His whole life, I can't lose Benjamin. And this is what sin does. It will get you stuck. Many of you are stuck in trauma even today. And you just become hyper-focused and your trauma holds you. God loves us right where we're at. And he loves us too much to leave us there. And so he's going to allow, a good teacher allows tests to help us grow. See, God knows how humans learn and grow. He knows where you're at on the learning scale. You know we're all on the learning scale. Uh, some of us are in the state, step one, unconscious incompetence. There's stuff we don't know and we don't even know we don't know it. Amen? Blissfully ignorant. God needs to put a, a little tension into our lives to move us to conscious incompetence. That is, now there's something I don't know and I know that I don't know it so I need to learn, and then God gives us a little more tension to move us into uh, conscious competence where we're working on it. Remember the first time you drove? I'm teaching my son to drive illegally because he's 13. <laughs> but Chief isn't here, so it's, it's cool. He is? Okay, he's watching. Not on public roads. Anyway, it doesn't matter, it's private property. You remember, there's stress and you have to learn it. And then God puts even more tension until you reach this stage, the fourth stage, unconscious competence, where you get in your car, you end up at home and you're like, how did I get here? Because you were on autopilot, right? Drinking coffee, doing texts and driving with your knee. I've seen you. It's scary. 
God brings this tension because sin gets us stuck. God graciously brings tests, a little tension to move us along. This is exactly what sin does in our lives. We're hurt, so we seek something to alleviate the pain. For Jacob, it was Benjamin. You may not know this, but it's true. Do you know in today's society we actually have passies for adults? Pacifiers for adults. Rich, you got one? Oh, yeah. No, legitimately, you can get them in Austin. They're adult-sized passies. I got this one for Alan. Here's what sin, sin, sin wounds, sin hurts, sin traumatizes, and as humans, we can laugh at this and be like, yeah, that's, that's just like Austin, you know, a bunch of babies, you know, they got safe spaces so you can have your adult passy in Austin, you know, one of the whole, whole places where people just, it's mm. horrible, isn't it? And the first time I saw this, I was like, you've got to be kidding. I've got to get one of those. That's ridiculous. I could mock them all day long. And I got it and realized, do you know all of us have pacifiers? Life hurts. It wounds. Sin gets us stuck. And we seek things that will comfort us. For some of us, it's jobs. For some of us, it's relationships. For some of us, it's substances. But we're all addicts. And we all have pacifiers. Jacob's pacifier was Benjamin. He was stuck. Do you know God loves him so much? He allows a test, a tension, a trial to come into his life to move him past his pacifier to find freedom. You want to know how to interpret the test, the trial, the tension in your life? Sometimes it's in the goodness of God, he brings that tension to bring about transformation, to get you past where you're at. He did it with me and my addiction, my alcoholism. He does it because he loves us and he, he wants us to get to know him better. Watch, pull up 3511 if you've got it. I wanna show you what, exactly what he's teaching Jacob at this moment. Here's what he told Jacob over 22 years early. If you have chapter 35, I believe it's 3511. Well, I'll, I can read it to you right here. Watch this, because I have a Bible. Here's 3511. Here's what God told Jacob 20, 20 years previously. God said to Jacob, I am God Almighty. So God introduces himself to Jacob as the Almighty God. I'm in control of everything. Do you know from this point on, Jacob never uses that name. Jacob never speaks that name until right here, chapter 43, pull up 43, 13, and 14. There's 35, 11, so you can see it. I am God Almighty. Now, pull up chapter 43, verse 13 and 14. Watch what Jacob says after the tension comes into his life. He begins to experience God he actually has to trust God in a brand new way. I'll read 34, 13, and 14 to you. It says this. Jacob says to Judah, take your brother also, arise and return to Joseph. Verse 14. And may 
God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man so that he will release to you your brother and Benjamin. Because the test, because the tension, because of the trial, Jacob's forced to trust God in a brand new way. You may, you may ask, why this, why this tension in my life? Why this test? Because without the tension, there's no transformation. Without the tension, this is just true in physics, physiology, biology. Without the tension, there's no transformation. God, why are you allowing this test? Because I love you so much. That pressure is going to push you past your pacifier. Now, watch what happens next. We go from this trust test. I'm going to go chapter 43, verse 31 through 34. This is the tantrum test. You're not going to believe this. Sometimes God brings the test just to see if we'll throw a temper tantrum. Anybody ever had a temper tantrum? Watch this. This is astounding. Uh, here it is. And I, I, some tests, are, they're just to assess where we're at, what's really going on inside of us. That's what this test is about. Watch. For Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Gad, Ishkar, Zebulun, Naphtali, and Asher. This is just a test to assess what's really going on inside of them. So they, they get Benjamin, 11 of them head down to Egypt. They're now in front of Joseph. Joseph says, come, have a meal together. They go, they're like, oh, he's gonna fall on us, make us his slaves, take our donkeys. They apparently really love their donkeys. You notice that in the text over and over. Oh, he's gonna take our donkey. It's like, well, Jacob's family's loaded. They got a whole bunch of donkeys, but they probably named them and they're pets. They come now to the mealtime. Watch verse 31. This is going to blow your socks off. This is so good. Verse 31, Joseph saw Benjamin. Joseph wept. Joseph washed his face. Joseph comes back. And in verse 31, after Joseph had washed his face, chapter 43, verse 31, he came out and he controlled himself and said, serve the meal. Now, nobody said, whoa, whoa. But here's why, because we already forgot chapter 37, verses 24 and 25. The boys, the whole band is back together. The new kids on the block got back together. Guns and Roses is back together. You got all 12 of them. Do you know the last time they shared a meal? It's in chapter 37, verses 24 and 25. Let me read it to you and pull it up if you got it. 37, verses 24 and 25. They took Joseph and threw him into a pit. Now the pit was empty and had no water in it. There was no Lunchable in there. There was nothing for Jojo to eat. Joseph was in the pit, had no water. Watch verse 25. Then the boy sat down to eat a meal. This is the last meal they shared. Joseph was in the pit crying out, guys, come on, let me out. Guys, the joke is over, the joke is done. And the brothers sat down, ate their Lunchables, and was like, quiet, kid. And then Judah saw the Ishmaelites and said, let's sell them. This was the last meal they had together. So Joseph is about to love them and put a perfect test together to expose what's inside of them. Watch this test. Verse, verse 32. So they served him by himself and they by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews for that is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now, verse 33, watch this. They were seated in birth order from the oldest to the youngest. 
So, so Joseph said them, and this is astounding. Remember, they got four mamas, and some of them are only seven to eight months apart. So you couldn't tell the difference with many of these brothers. But Joseph said them, here's Reuben, the oldest, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Gad, Ishakar. They're in birth order. Verse 33, they looked at each other in amazement. Because the statistical odds, legit, the statistical odds are about 1 in 39,782,000, if you did the math. It's right up near 1 in 40 million. So the boys are looking at each other like, this is astounding. What is going on here? And we have to ask the same question. What is going on? Let me show you verse 34. Watch what he does. Verse 34, he took portions to them from his own table. Joseph, here's some, Reuben, Simeon, Levi. But Benjamin's portion was how much? Five times as much as any of theirs. So they feasted and drank and ate freely with him. What is Joseph doing here? It's an assessment test. I call it the tantrum test. Do you remember 22 years earlier why the brothers hated Joseph? He was treated better. He got a special multicolored coat and his brothers hated him and hated him all the more. So what Joseph does, I call it the HEB aisle 10 principle. Do I have any HEB partners here? Do you know it's in aisle 10? It's super, it's super HEBs. Anybody memorize your aisles at H-E-B? Nobody does? Really? I thought that was sick. I should get a job at H-E-B. Aisle 10, oh, it's a dangerous aisle. It's the candy aisle. And I learned the hard way. See, all the parents are like, oh, I avoid that one. That's the, that's the aisle 10 principle. See, early on as a parent, you don't know that, and you think you've got the best kids ever. So you roll through aisle 10 with your kids, and all of a sudden... See, candy's like crack to kids. They just lose it. And they see all the color. They don't, even, they don't even know what it is. But they're just like, I want it. And they start freaking out. And as a parent, you find yourself in a terrorist situation. Because your children turn into little terrorists and they lose it. What's inside comes out and they break down. And you're now in hostage negotiation mode. And you are the hostage, amen? You're looking for the nearest exit. And you're just like, I got to get, you're throwing stuff out as you're going out to the car, you know, just trying to empty your cart so you can get out quick. What God does, it's so beautiful. Do you know he'll park me in aisle 10 just to see what's going on inside of me? He's so good. You see, the pressure of the test serves as kind of a, a PET scan. You know what a PET scan is? CAT scan, MRI, CT scan. Um, It serves, the pressure serves as a test to prove what's inside of us. The pressure pushes the pus to the surface. So through that pressure, God can kind of pop our spiritual pimples. That's horrible. But it's true. Have we not learned to hide all the trash inside deep down so nobody sees it? Oh, we come to church and everything's great. God bless you, brother. God bless you. 
God bless us. God bless everyone. God bless Tiny Tim and Ebenezer. God bless them all. How are you? I'm good. You're good. We're good. It's all good. Problem is there's a whole bunch of trash packed down and stuck like a bear claw, spiritual bear claw. It's just pressed down. And what God does is he just puts a little pressure to push that pus up. It's literally what God does. How do you interpret the tension, the stress, the pressure? Often God wants to show me where I'm lacking in the life of Christ. What do I need, what do I need to confess? What do I need to repent of? He'll park me in aisle 10 and just say, let's see what comes out. See, that's how much God loves you. He loves you right where you're at, and he loves you way too much to leave you there. He's gonna expose it. He already sees it, you know that? He leaves me in aisle 10 so that I can see what's inside of me, because I tend to think I'm okay. Then the pressure comes. Then I see what's there. See, some tests help us advance past our passies. Some tests just assess us so we get to see what's really going on inside and we can cry out to help for God. Now watch this last test. Six minutes left. So good. Well, 44, chapter 44 is actually the longest speech in Genesis. It's Judah's speech. Um, so, the, so Joseph comes up with one final exam, one final test. Joseph says, pack all, give them as much food as they can carry, put their money back in their sacks, and take my silver cup and put it in Benjamin's sack. And then I want you, after, after the, the 11 brothers have left, Joseph says, I want you to go chase them down and search through their knapsacks. And wherever you find that, my silver cup, that I want you to bring them back. Because what Joseph is doing is he's setting up a makeup exam. Anybody ever had to take a makeup test? Really, two of us. <laughs> Thanks, Gigi. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Eric, ever had a makeup test? You're a teacher. You're not going to answer it. All right. Well, I feel bad for all of you. I've never had to make a, have a makeup test. Just kidding, I failed every test. I failed my driver test a whole bunch. Because I just, I was like, who needs to study for that? You just go drive, how hard could it be? Uh, what Joseph does here is he sets up a makeup exam. Let me show it to you. You see, the first time, they, his brothers freely betrayed him and lied to their father to save their own tails. I call this the tail test. Joseph is now gonna set up the exact same test to see if they'll betray Benjamin to save their own tails. So he sets up this elaborate scheme, put the silver cup in Benjamin's sack, bring them back, and let's see if they pass the makeup exam. Watch this, 44 verse one. Then he commanded his house steward saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of a sack. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph had told them. Now watch verse 16 and 17. Here comes the test. So Judah said, after they had been busted, what can we say to my Lord? What can we speak and how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves Watch this, very important. We, plural, all, your, all the brothers, are your slaves 
both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. So Judah says, we're all your slaves, Joseph. Watch 17. Watch what Joseph said. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do this, the man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for y'all, go up in peace to your father. He sets up the exact same exam. Will you betray your brother to save your own tail? That's why I call it the tail test. See, some tests God gives us, some tests God gives me just to show me that, just to give me assurance that I have grown. I told you about vacation. I was at a house. I had shingles. I was in the worst pain that I'd ever been in my life, and I was surrounded by alcohol. Did I tell you that? And I was wondering, why in the world? Why in the world? Because I knew in approximately seven and a half minutes with, with how my body metabolizes alcohol, I could be pain-free in seven and a half minutes. And I sat there for days wondering, God, why? See, some tests God give you because for years before that, if somebody said, Dave, are you sober? I'd say, yeah, I haven't drank. I'm, I haven't drank anything. But then the, the addict and alcoholic mind begins to play. Our minds as addicts work against us. My mind began to tell me, you're not sober. You're not clean. Just, you don't know if you are or not because if you were tested, you'd probably fall. I wonder what your breaking point is. So I began to wonder. And then God lovingly gave me a test, compassionately, kindly, to show me, no, by his grace, I am sober. I am, because he showed me. I, by his grace, I withstood for days in the worst pain. You see, some tests are to give you assurance. Let me explain this to you further. The brothers had failed the test the first time. They sold Joseph, did they not? And their failure began to define them because they lied about it and their failure defined them. Do you know this is what the enemy loves to do? He loves to define you. So it's a principle of propaganda. He will freeze frame you and define you by your worst day and your worst decision. Anybody? This is who you are, your worst day and your worst decision. The boys sold their brother. This is who they are. They're horrible. They're awful. They're wretched. They're terrible. And the enemy freeze frames you by your worst decision and your worst day. And as humans, we tend to carry that failure with us, defined by our failure. Do you know what God does is he lovingly gives us makeup exams because he sees not only where we're at, but where he's gonna grow us. Here's the makeup exam. He says to Judah and the brothers, no, 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 I'm just keeping Benjamin. All y'all are free to go to your, your dad. Watch what Judah says because he passes the makeup exam with flying colors. Verse 33. After his whole speech, Judah says, Now therefore, he's Judah speaking to Joseph. This is Judah, the same one that decided to sell Joseph. This is Judah, chapter 38, the unmentionable. He impregnated his daughter in law. He just, he's a sleazebag. Uh, well, I'm going to see Judah in heaven too. He's going to be like, I heard what you said, bro. Not cool. But he legit, at that period of his life, total sleazebag. But see, God knows who he's going to be. His failure isn't 
final. Do you know your failure isn't final? You're, you're not, even though there's an accuser of the brethren who accuses you before the father did, in Christ, your failure isn't final. Amen. You're not defined by your worst day and worst decision in Christ. Amen. Watch how Judah passes the makeup exam. Now, therefore, Joseph, please let me, your servant, remain instead of the lad, verse 33. Take me. Joseph, take me, not Benjamin, my life for his, and let the lad go up with his brothers to his father. You see, this is the beauty of the makeup exam. Have you failed in the past? Absolutely. Is there wretchedness in your past? Absolutely. Is there incredible depravity in your past? Absolutely. And in Christ, your failure is not final. How can God do that? Well, it's called the gospel. It's called the good news. You see, even as Judah said, stood before Joseph and said, my life for Benjamin's. Don't take Benjamin, take me. Let your wrath fall on me, not Benjamin. Do you know the great, 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 great grandson of Judah? His name was Jesus Christ. And he stood and said, Father, my life for Dave's, my life for Pages, my life for Seth's. Let the wrath fall on me, but let them go. My life for Amber's, my life for Eric's, my life for Nico's, my life for their life. You see, your failure isn't final because Jesus stood and said, my life for Vermes. He stood and said, I'll take all of their failure, all of their sin, all of their shame. Let the wrath, let the judgment, let the condemnation fall on me, but let Dave go free. That's called the gospel. And if you don't know that, then you're a prisoner to your sin. You are defined by your worst day and your worst decisions. And I can guarantee you, you're an addict to something and you're a slave to sin. Jesus came to set you free. And he has said, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Today, would you respond to his love? You see, he loves you so much that Jesus hung on the cross and was made to be sin for you. He was buried and defeated the enemy death that torments and chases you. Jesus rose again, and Jesus will freely give you new life. He will take all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your guilt, and by faith, he'll give you all of his righteousness. It will be credited, imputed to your account. You'll no longer be defined by your worst day and worst decision. You'll now be, you'll be defined by Jesus's faithfulness, not your failures. Today, would you respond to his love? We're gonna sing to him. And, and I pray today your heart would be filled with gratitude for the gospel that Jesus stood and said, my life for theirs. Let's pray and let's sing to him together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you loved us in our brokenness, pursued us in our depravity, pursued us in our sin and shame, sent your son, Jesus, and Jesus Thank you for coming and living the life 
that I couldn't. Thank you for dying in my place for my sin. Thank you for defeating death. And thank you that by grace, through faith in you, you take all of our sin and give us all of your righteousness. I don't deserve it. There's nothing I can do to earn it. But I'm so grateful to know I'm loved. Would, would you open our eyes now to the depth of your love? Would you empower us to grasp a small piece? What is the height and depth and width and breadth of your love for us, Father, in your Son, Jesus Christ? Would you be pleased now as we sing to you and celebrate you? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.